Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast. Uh, had a real good episode last time with Paul Priest, and now we are so lucky to have Mr. Bobby Worthington back with us. Bobby and I got to spend some time in Kentucky looking at some properties, and, you know, we, we talk about this all the time about trying to find mentors or, or somebody that, that's been doing whatever it is you love, Um and knows it inside and out, and and I was so fortunate to, to to be able to spend some time in the woods with Bobby and learn to learn a ton. Bobby, we really appreciate you coming back, my friend. Well, I appreciate you inviting me back. It's good to good to be on the phone with you again, and hadn't talked to you since our trip. And I always look forward to opportunity to spend time with quality people, and you're definitely one of them. You are the the boogeyman. <laughs> I want to call you the boogeyman from now on because I understand you're a killer. And when you get in a tree, if the deer comes through, then uh, he's in trouble. He, he's going to find out there's something in the trees, and it ain't a it ain't a squirrel. It's the boogeyman. The boogeyman. I told Kevin about that today. How you and I were laughing about that. You, you, we were making that mock scrape, and you, you just all of a sudden said, and right up in that tree right there is going to be the boogeyman. That's where you're going to be sitting. <laughs> that, that's a deadly little setup. It really is, and 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 Bobby, you know, when I when I first reached out to you, um, you know, I obviously met you through Don Higgins, and Don set up that uh, dream team, and you know, you, you being part of it and all that, and and your specialty kind of being the big woods, and you know, a lot of public ground and and creating funnels, and that's that's kind of what we concentrated on on our last podcast was talking about you know the funnels and. The October twenty fifth, if the weather's right, all the way up to Thanksgiving is is being in those funnels. But on this trip, you know, we came in and went down to that Donaldson Creek area and and walked that whole piece. Um, spent you know really half the morning and found one good spot. You know, and it ended up not being near the the property that I thought it was. And I and you were obviously in full agreement. But just kind of walk us through that of. You know, when we got there and, and, and started walking and, and the lack of everything. Well, really, it's one of them properties that a neighbor or, or somebody might see a big buck on or crossing the road close to or a neighbor might see a big buck. And, and you might set up in there and a lot of people waste a lot of time in a place like that. I mean, every two or three years, if you're set up on, on one the one type spot was found every two or three years. You might get a shot opportunity, but that's that's betting on luck. It's just it's not. There's no one funnel there that's moving enough deer through it. There's no really deep ditches or really 
it's rolling hills and there's no great topographical that every deer that enters that property would have to go through like I look for. So, and it's open see-through woods, so the deer are not going to feel safe there. They're not going to live there. Now, could they be going from point A to point B of the deer buck and, and go through that property? And if you're in a stand, you might see him off in the distance or he might be under you. But, Joe, that's one of them places that you just betting on luck, absolutely. Even though there's a good deer somewhere in that area and, and was passing through there and was seen, that's just not what you're looking That's not what I look for. I don't have life's too short, and I just don't have enough time to set up on something like that. Well, I think that's that's so important for guys that are, you know, going out and trying to get permission or, or get leases or buy farms is, is they need to learn how to – including myself, how to rule properties out, you know, that, you know, just because this one, you know, there's been a big deer or it's in a Ohio or a big buck area. Um, and the guy wants $3,500 or whatever it is to lease it. You just can't lease something if it's not going to work for you. Right. You know, of course you look for the good genes that can produce a monster buck. And then I want to find out if there is, some topographical feature on that property that where at least 50% of the deer traveling through that property will will go around or, or be forced be forced into a tight spot. Now we could have found we did find one one big rub. Now if a lot of people do this, they get into a piece of property like that, and let's say it's in a mature bucks court area. Uh, He's going to go through there quite often, and we might have found a rub line and a scrape line. We didn't, uh, nothing significant, but let's say we did, and the guy gets all excited and buys that property. Well, he set up on that buck square, and he might kill him, but I'm afraid after that buck is dead, then he's not going to have that opportunity for a long time. I look for a, I look for a piece of property that has a tight place that will move a lot of deer through it. A uh, big part of the deer going through that property will be forced through that tight place. And long-range travel, you can find a funnel that's that's made because of a feeding area or a crop field or a feeder. You can find a, a little place that moves the family group of deer around it. But there's a difference. I call it a bridge to nowhere. There's a difference in, in a long-range travel corridors and and a lot of trail systems and corridors that come together in a small area because of a feeding situation. But that's, that long-range travel corridors is what I'm looking for. Bucks traveling cross-country, either going from one of their home ranges to the other or going from a doe bedding area to another doe bedding area, checking out does, or traveling traveling all through his home range, keeping check on the does before and during the rut. That's that long-range travel corridors I look for. And if you examine the trail systems and you follow them out, a lot of times you can figure out, well, this is just going out to this field. Or this is this is going to this dead doe bedding area and to the, to the field, and here's another one going to the other corner of the field. And a lot of people find a tight place and they think it's a good funnel to hunt, but they're really they're mistaken because a lot of times those are just used by a family group of does. Right, and that property there, if it did have big sign and big scrapes and rubs, I'd say, well, you can put a camera out and get this particular deer's picture, 
But once he's dead, this is not significant anymore. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's quite unlike the property, the, the next property went to. Quite unlike it. And, and you know, we one thing, you know, before we get on that, that other property is is when we did walk around to the or drove around to that other side and checked that one old logging road that had the scrape line down it, and, and we found the one spot to, to throw a camera up, one thing that uh, I, I thought was interesting was was how you read the the scrapes. You talked about the year olds and the the two year old bucks just scraping the leaves and a little bit of dirt back, and then those great big bodied mature bucks how they they scrape all the way down to the roots. That that, that was pretty interesting to me. Yeah, they've got a, they've got big strong. I mean, I can pile the ground and you. you a football player can come behind me. A six-five football player can come behind me and pull it around. It's going to look different. I can I can take a deer antler and rub a tree in it. Let that same football player take that same antler and rub the tree. It's going to look totally different. Usually, the year and a half old bucks is barely through the leaves and the 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 inner leaves. I call them the leaves that's been there for two or three years is not even straight back. And then a lot of times the two and three year olds will get they'll get through the leaves. But that's usually about it. But now them big mature bucks, when they work a straight, they'll they'll bowl that straight in some. You can you can see the difference in it and the ground around it because it's cut down. You can see the damage and that overhanging limb. I like to see it broken up and, and really well. They they'll get into it with their horns and they'll really mangle it. A mature buck will. He's got a different attitude about him. He's got a different reason to make that straight. The, the the young bucks are doing it more on instincts that haven't really learned yet, and that mature buck's got a different attitude about it. Plus, he has the body weight and size to do damage when he goes through the woods. Well, that, and you know, I told you, I said that's a mature. We was following a straight line down the road, and I told you, I said, now this is a one and a half or two and a half year old buck straight line, and then we come to another big straight, and I told you, I said, now this is a different straight. This is made by Mature Buck, and we got to look in, and it was a different corridor. It crossed the other one, and it had big scrapes on it, and we didn't go far. We found a huge rub, and then I think that light bulb went on in your head. Well, he was right. That that was a Mature Buck strafe, and this huge rub confirms it. So, uh, you know, it just takes years of experience to learn that thing. Yeah, and, and you know, that was kind of right at the base of that saddle where, where that other corridor came in. Um, and it, you know, they kind of intersected. And so we, we fooled around there a little bit, picked a tree out and didn't get too serious about it. I mean, you, you were like, this could work, but I'm certain you've got better spots than this. And, and, um, you know, so we, we just kind of picked out a few, few spots that we could put a stand, put a camera or put a couple cameras. And then, uh, then we kind of left that and went, went to the, the, the really good property. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I had the ability to go in there. It was after rifle season last year. It was like the 22nd. It was right before Thanksgiving. And I only had three or four days to hunt. And, you know, kind of went in there and, and, and saw those trails and rubs, but I couldn't really get back in there to where the funnel was um, because I, I, I didn't know it. You know, I didn't know what it was like in there, and, and, and I saw all that, and I, you know, didn't know if they were bedded right there or what, and so that's why it's so important to get back in there this time of year, and, and we, we pretty much uncovered, uh, the, you know, the holy grail, if you will, of, of, of spots. 
Yeah, that's right. Let me back up just a second. Okay. That that one location, just because it's not a it's not a tight funnel, it is in a Buck's Core area. He's making a significant amount of sign there. And and for your listeners, what we done is we picked that we picked out a tree on each side of the travel corridor for any wind direction. We found we found the exact trees we need to be in. We trimmed shooting lanes, and we got all that ready. But I, like I told you, I don't think it's significant enough to hang a tree stand. Now that buck is mature. He could score one eighty or he could score one forty. You know, a lot of mature bucks never get out of the one forty. So. We got everything prepared, and it's not bad for our listeners to do that. Even though it's not in a tight funnel, if they find a mature bucks travel corridor, it's this time of year. It's good to go ahead and pick the trees, trim the shooting lanes, and that way, this fall they can put a camera up, and monitor, it, and they may be surprised what it is, or it may not. But it's going to be only for that one particular buck. But it could be a giant. So. I just wanted to back up and say that that's why we that's why we got the trees ready, and you're going to monitor it with a camera, and then if it's something special, then of course you you know how to kill him. Sure. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. We went, and then we went to the next farm, and I just say, in my long career, I, I've not seen many tighter funnels than the one you're talking about. It is a, a steep bluff leading off to. Uh, substantial creek or, or river and you knew about the bluff and you wanted to check it out so the bluff one thing that makes that bluff significant is it gets so tight dropping off that a trail system cannot form between the water and the bluff now in some bluffs they can be a trail system between the water and the bluff itself there's a little flat area a little bench or a flat area that a trail system can form in that situation you don't have near as tight a setup as you do in the one that you have there because that situation does not take place so all the deer going from point a to point b must go on top of the bluff so when we first entered the first side of the bluff i really liked it there was a Probably, there was three main trail systems come together and went through it that were separate from each other, but a lot of the trails got together on those three trails. And actually, if you follow each of the three trail systems back, you'll find that they're made up of two or three more travel corridors or trails coming into them. Of course, a trail, a heavy trail ain't significant in open woods, but a heavy trail that's heavy because it's forced to be heavy because the deer are forced on it is significant because the same thing that forces does and young bucks on it will force mature bucks on it too. But when we first entered it, I liked what we seen and, and I started looking around for trees and this and that and I said, let's just walk on to the other end of the bluff because anytime you've got a bluff or a funnel situation like that, you've got two ends of it. And there were some trails we couldn't quite get together that was up above the bluff, let's say on the uh, left side, and I don't know which direction that was offhand. That would be but west, yeah, to the west. There were some trails on the west side that we we was going to have to do some major tree cutting, hinge cutting to push them on down, which was possible. 
But I felt like that was from a family group of does that was bedding up on top of it, close to the field, and we found out that was the case. But I wanted to walk, before we started work, I wanted to walk to the other side of the bluff, and we did. And when we got there, we not only had a funnel on the east side toward the creek and the bluff, we also had a funnel on the west side. There was a, there's a road about 100 yards from the bluff through the trees. It's not through an open field. It's through the trees. And there was a culvert there, a bridge and a culvert, and there was a good heavy drainage ditch coming down to that end of the bluff. So now we have the best situation. We have a funnel not only on one side of the deer traffic to tighten them up, but we have one on the other side to tighten them up also. So a lot of the trails we were losing up the hill to the west was forced down and had to come together and then we really had an extremely tight place. Hardly ever will I blind hunt a stand, but that one I would because the number one factor that determines whether I will blind hunt a stand or not is the amount of deer that it's moving through there. And this is moving an extreme amount of deer through it because of the funnel on both sides. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a, a tighter funnel. And if you remember, Bobby, when we first got in there in those cedars, you know, they had a bunch of rubs, and we found that, that big buck bed, you know, right there, or two or three of them, you know, right there, not, not 50, 75 yards from where we came in. Yep. That, yeah, the spot you took me to where you actually hunted a little bit last year, you didn't want to get on in and disturb the deer, was a little cedar thicket. And when we got up there looking around, there was a lot of rubs. And then a lot of times, like a buck will do, he'll lay, he'll bed down right under a tree or a bush. And a lot of times, that actually, the tree or bush he's laying again will be rubbed up. And we found two or three really large beds. And you could tell they wasn't, one of them was fresher than the other. Of course, a buck ain't going to bed in the same exact bed very often. I have seen them occasionally. But I think that was the same buck, and he had bedded in two or three different places around that little cedar thicket there. And a lot of times, if you find a big bed, you need to look around, and if there's smaller beds around it, you can assume that's the doe and fawns, or if there's three or four average-sized beds around in the spot, you can assume those are a family group of does and fawns. But now... When you find a big bed and then you find another big bed and another one, don't assume, well, them doe beds, because there's more than one, don't assume that. Those beds were huge, and they were at different times. You could tell some of them was older than the others, and the place was tore up with rubs, and one of the beds had a rub again, the tree it was bedded against. So if you think about that, then you've got a situation where there's no doubt at all that that is that buck's bed, or at least, at least that time of year. Right. Yeah. So that you know, obviously, I had seen a good bit of that from the edge of that little field, and 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 you know, if you look at the topo, you could tell that there was a good bluff in there. So you know, once we got kind of to the end of the bluff, that that's kind of when when you went to work with with your. I, I just wanted to see how you would do it, how Bobby Worthington found a really good spot and how you would go about setting it up and and it was it was next level eye-opening stuff walk us through um you know obviously 
you made some you made some mock scrapes. You 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 picked a tree out. You know your, your deal with the ratchet straps and tying the brush in there around you, and how you made those mock scrapes and the mineral. Walk us walk us through kind of your process once you find that that magical spot that funnel. Well, finding that spot and getting the shot up shot up is is one one thing you got to do. But once you do it then you're not by no means through. I mean, a big part of the people get opportunities to shoot them with here, Buck, but they're not able to close the deal. And a lot of that stuff I do, people might think, well, that's small stuff or that's, that's, that's not important. But really, it's, it's putting all the small stuff together that makes up the, the big thing, makes up the kill. It's, it's not one large thing that, helps you kill a deer number one is a tight funnel and getting in front of you but then you got to kill it so years ago i i looked at the reasons and talked to a lot of hunters and and myself too i've missed a lot of shot opportunities and why i missed and i come up with three basic things uh one is a lot of times the shot's a little further than you want it may be 25 or 30 yards and that deer's got a lot of time to react and you're nervous and maybe you're cold you've been sitting there a good while and so I want a close shot. I want to. I want a shot. I, I want to put all all four sight pins on his vitals. That's where I want him. I want him 15 or 18 yards. So part of what I done, Joe, was to tighten that up. I moved one trail. I hinge cut and I moved one trail over, and I wasn't worried about the deer. I moved them a little further than I wanted, but that didn't bother me because I, there was a ditch. That ditch I talked about wasn't far from that trail. So I knew they wasn't going to violate that ditch because they couldn't do it easily. And I knew they would rather move over my way toward the bluff closer than they would go across that ditch. So we hinge cut all the way to the ditch, and we pushed that trail over some to get it closer to the others where they was all within 10 yards of each other. And so that's one of the things we've done. And the reason is, like I said, I want a 15 to 18-yard shot. And another thing we've done to enhance that trail movement is we put a mineral lick right where that trail, the new trail I made, will join the other trail. And what that mineral lick will do, during the summer, the deer coming down that trail that I had to move over will, will come will come across the road or however they're coming, and I think that one was coming across the road, best I remember. They will come down that trail, and they'll go over, and they'll eat that mineral lick, and then they'll go out the way the other deer are going, down the funnel that way, and that puts them closer to the tree. I use mineral licks a whole lot to rearrange and and uh, cause a trail system to be in the location I want. Even though they're not using minerals in the wintertime, they will still use that trail system that they've got used to using in the summertime and that they feel safe using, particularly if it's very close to the way they're wanting to go anyway, if you're not trying to force them too far. So that's one thing we did. And then, if you remember, on the north wind, on the north stand, the stand that was right on the bluff, there was a trail a little close. It was about four or five yards from the base of your tree, and... and you felt like that you couldn't get in both lungs there real good, so we moved that trail over also. And, of course, any time I move a trail over, I try to block it plumb to the restriction, like the bluff, and we did. 
and then I put my foot like on the other one, and I made a very obvious trail, just just going right around right around the tree where we wanted it to. I made a real obvious trail with my foot, and also led it right down to the mineral lake. And uh, let's see, there was uh, that. And I wanted to say this too. And we did this, and I showed you this. The other thing we did to even enhance that better is as we cut shooting lanes, we took the brush and the treetops and the saplings from the shooting lanes, and we put them around your tree out to about five yards. So a lot of people really will cut a, cut a brush or cut a sapling for shooting lanes, and they'll just lay it on the ground. And a lot of times it'll block their trail, and deer may even actually go around it and not be exactly what you want. But I always take them and put under the tree that I'm hunting from out to about five yards. So we did that. So, and and I didn't want to open the woods up too much. If you remember, I didn't want a lot of sunlight coming in and changing the vegetation and really changing the look of the woods. So in some of the shooting lanes, we didn't cut. If you remember, we took some zip ties and some cord I had, and we, we pulled, the, we pulled some of the saplings over quite a ways and just tied them over instead of cutting them off because I didn't want to just cut down every sapling in there that was in the way and, and make it look that much different. So some of them we pulled back and tied over. So that's one thing we've done. Like you said, we've we done that, and the reason we've done that is to, where we wouldn't be shooting straight down on a deer and maybe get one lung, and then where you wouldn't be shooting uh, out to about 20, 25, 28 yards, like I said, I... I like them real close. Yep. And and the next thing we've done, Joe, as you mentioned, <clears throat> the trail, trail systems come together to three main trails, and they weren't right together. They was like five yards to one and another two or three yards to another one. And on each of those trail systems, we made mock straights. So when I analyzed why people miss deer, number one, the shot is, a little further than it should have been. Number two is a cruising buck during the rut is hard to stop sometimes. Sometimes you have to drunk and sometimes even holler. And when you holler at that deer, he stops and he's alert. He looks up or when you drunk, he's alert. And he's got a better chance of dropping down some and causing a high hit. So I want him to stop naturally. And one of the things I do to make them stop naturally is I make a huge stripe in the middle of all of the trails that I'm shooting to. So we did that. Uh, we, we, we made stripes in two or three different ways. You might want to talk about that. Yep. So, and, and I'll tell you, some material bucks that has been drunted at and then when they stop shot at, some of them will bolt when you drunk especially if they're close and they can tell that sound comes from above. I've seen them do it several times. So you want to avoid having the drunk to stop a deer and get him alert and maybe him take off. So those mock scrapes are really key to that. And, and you, won't have to, you won't have to open them up, but if you want to go in about October 1st with a good rake and open them up, that's good too. But I guarantee you, in that type funnel there, and, and we've got a good limb just to ride high, and I'm guarantee you that them strays are going to be used heavy. And it's really hard for a big mature buck during the rut to hice up a strafe. He's going to he's going to want to put his nose and his two cents worth in it. So that should give you a good relaxed shot. So, and it was really neat, Bobby, the way you you know you took that one tree 
and um, cut another fork tree and push that limb over and, and then zip tied it and use some twine to use it like a brace to push that big bushy limb over. That, you know, using as much natural stuff as you could, but then using zip ties and twine to, to do it as well. You know, on that, that one big one that you made on, I guess, the furthest trail, you know, to the west. Yeah, that I wanted a good bushy limb over the straight. So I mean, a lot of people use those ropes, and that's fine. But I like to use natural limbs, and and I cut a I cut a pole about six foot long, and it had a V on one end. And what I done, I caught a, I got the whole sapling. I caught one of the limbs coming off the sapling in that V, and I pushed that sapling over and pushed it over, and then there was another sapling about. Uh, four foot from it and I pushed that sapling down just the right high and then I laid that pole I cut in the V of the sapling that was still there and I tied it in place when I got that when I got that sapling bent over to the right high. That's one thing we done and on the next one we used a grapevine and a limb and it was a little higher than I wanted and I actually went and cut a green pole about the size of my wrist and about a foot long. And I stiff locked that to it to weight that down just to put weight on it and weighted it down a little further so it'd be at the right height. And I guess on the last one, did we zip tie it in place? I think we so. did. Yeah, yeah, we zip tied that last one. But Bobby, let me, I know, I, I, I know a question a lot of the listeners are going to have is how high do you like to have the, the, the scraping limb, if you will? Um, how, well, how, that's that's a good question. I I have a scrape on my farm, uh, on on not my farm, but on a place I hunt that's about three thousand acres, and there is one scrape on that place that every mature buck. I don't care. I may get his picture in velvet. I may get his picture in a tunnel during the rut. But any mature buck I ever get a picture of at least once during the fall is going to visit that scrape. And I think it's a combination of the limb being the right height and in the right location. And I like one about chest high to me, which is about four and a half to five foot up to six foot. Now, I know everybody's seen where mature bucks work them up six and a half, seven foot. They get on their hind legs and work them. But that's a little effort, and I like to make it easier for them. I believe they prefer them about five feet where they can just get into them with their head and stretch their and stretch their face up and, and rub their glands on it. So, and they, they'll do a lot of that transferring scent from the tarsal glands with their nose. They'll rub their they'll rub their forehead again, their tarsal glands, and they'll rub it on that limb too. So they like them up there. In my opinion, most of the mature bucks I've seen four and a half to let's say five and a half feet, and and they want that limb coming down from above. They want it angled down, uh, even straight down, a grapevine or that rope rope deal people use is good. But they want them coming down from above, and they want a they want a big limb. A lot of times they want a they want one big little finger or your thumb. They can work over and beat up with that horn, and they'll just mangle it. So there's a few things they prefer. But believe me, if if you've got it in flat enough ground, now they want they don't like a scrape on ground if it's if it's got a big slope to it. Of course, their urine runs off, I guess, and it's just harder to work. But we found, if you remember, we found the flattest place we could find on each one of those corridors that made it straight. Now, a lot of times you'll find a corridor and you'll think, well, there's no big buck sign here. I'm not hunting. If, 
if that corridor is moving enough deer, believe me, my deer bucks are going through there. By the very nature of a funnel being in rough terrain with big ditches and stuff, by the very nature of a lot of times the ground ain't really flat enough or there may not be any limbs just right in that particular type place they're moving through. But if, once you fix the limbs there that's just right, then they're going to use them. Well, that you know, and that's you hear a lot of guys, Bobby, that talk about I, I don't I, I hate bow hunting the rut. You know, th- things are going crazy. You know, deer can be running everywhere, and I just I have more luck at early season or or pre rut or late season, and and I think it's because guys aren't hunting funnels. I mean, because I mean a real funnel like like this one, for example. Um, you you know, guys, they they once they understand that rut hunting becomes probably the most or or could be the most deadly part of the season if you have a funnel like that to kill a really big buck that's exactly right joe the nature the nature of the rut Uh, why would you why would you not want to hunt the rut when you can drive down the road and have mature bucks cross in front of you on the road in open fields and see them land dead on the road and you can see them in the middle of the day, crossing open fields and crossing the road, you know they're up and you know they're moving. Why would you not want to hunt them? It's right. Because yeah. Yep. It's, it, it's, it's, it's because you're still hunting that same individual travel corridor or you're not hunting a place that forces deer through it. Those deer that cross them open fields and cross those roads, I guarantee you, every day they're going to go through a tight place because they're forced to. Right. If you think about increased movement of a mature buck and the random the, the way that their movement is random and you think about a place that forces those deer that you're seeing on the road and through fields and off in the distance if you think about a place a location that forces those deer through there and the increased movement of a deer a deer probably moves four or five times more i mean if the weather's right he's going to move all day long compared to maybe an hour or two first light if it's outside the rut. So you think about the increased movement of mature bucks and especially the increased daylight movement of them, and then you think about a place that forces deer through it, and then you're going to begin to see how how myself and a lot of other hunters really like the rut. And, and a lot of hunters out there may have killed one mature buck during the rut or, or seen a mature buck, but they weren't, they weren't in the right place. Well... It's just simply because they have not found a tight funnel that's moving a lot of deer through it that they're forced to go through. And that's the and that's the rut tactic, right? From from the end of October to Thanksgiving is to you know t- people talk about hey you you got to sit all day. Well, well, yeah, but you got to sit all day in the right spot. And and the 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 key to rut hunting is finding that tightest possible funnel that they're forced through. And then sitting there all day, and and you know you and I, you know, we were sitting on on the porch there. We talked about the hardest thing was was the persistence, or, or the you know we talked about guys how your mind plays tricks on you, and 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 after two days or three days of all day sits, well, I'm I'm missing something at work. I you know I'm I'm not feeling well, or there's no deer that's going to come through here. The the once you find that location, the, the persistence, as, as you say, one of the keys or, or you know, I mean, it's, it's got to be, you have to spend the time there, and that can be one of the hardest things for guys to do. 
the three points that I've always pushed in all my writings and in my books and, and in my podcast, the three points I push is the time of year. That's during the rut when mature bucks are on their feet moving all day long. That's number one. Number two is in a tight funnel that will push that will push not one mature buck travel corridor together, but we'll push four or five of them together. That increases your chances four or five fold. And number three is persistence. If you combine those three, then you can see how your chances will be increased. A lot of hunters just, I'm telling you, it's tough to sit there all day. And the older you get, the more your bones hurt and the harder it is. But a lot of hunters just, they get conditioned early in the year when they're doe hunting and whatever to think that deer quit moving about 9 or 10 o'clock. And, and during the early season when it gets warm during the day and when the rut ain't taking place, that's right. But I'm convinced that a mature buck is just as likely to come to you at 12 o'clock as he is 7 o'clock in the morning. And I have backed that up many, many times. Matter of fact, if I'm hunting all day and I see a lone deer, even if I don't see his head and I see a see a lone deer moving toward me, I stand up and get my bow because I'll nearly always bet that that's a mature buck during the middle of the day. If I see a lone deer moving toward me during the middle of the day. But like you said, it takes it takes all three. Uh, let's back up just a second now. We, we talked about two things we've done. And, and, and of course, I'm bad about chasing rabbits down different holes, and I, I have here just a little bit. We talked about two things we've done. We talked about once you find that tight funnel, then making the shot, you know, closing the deal on him. So we talked about, number one, moving him closer to your tree and, and not shooting too straight down. And number two, getting him soft with the straight. And then the third reason, Joe, that a lot of hunters fail to get that deer, they see them in their tree. So they're coming through a tight funnel, and and they they look up and they see the hunter or... Or as the hunter starts to draw, they see him then. They get him out of their peripheral vision and they bolt. So that's the third reason that a lot of hunters don't kill their deer when they when it's time to close the deal. So what we did was, on both of the trees, they were saplings within, what would you say, five yards? Oh, yeah, five yards, yeah, for sure. Five yards. That's quite a ways to move a sapling, but they were large large saplings getting into nearly tree size within five yards of both of the trees that we picked out. Anytime you've got a tight corridor like you have that's moving that many deer, you've got to find a tree stand that you can hunt on both sides of the corridor because you don't want to go in there for an all-day hunt and, and the wind start out of the north and it starts warming up like it does sometimes in the day and it switches around out of the southwest or something. You don't want to be able to have to leave. So we're we all in a real tight corridor. I always make it happen where I've got a, and I may have to move the deer a little bit, but I've always got to make it happen where I've got a tree on both sides, and we did have. And then the trees, a lot of times the nature of a funnel makes that makes the tree selection kind of small. Sometimes it ain't a good brushy tree, or you ain't got two or three trees together. Sometimes the tree you have to be in is, is standing alone and, and maybe not a lot of cover on it. And that was the situation. And more on the north side on the tree that was on the bluff than the other one. But there was two saplings within, maybe one of them was like four yards and one of them was maybe even five yards away. 
and so we took some we took some heavy ratchet straps and we went up that tree as far as we could there and, and we got that ratchet strap around the limb up there around the tree and we ratcheted we ratcheted those saplings over into your tree and now when you climb the stand actually the 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 saplings are touching your tree and then, like I told you, do not cut a single limb off those saplings. There are going to be some in your way. But take some cord up there, and the limbs that are in your way, bunch them up and tie them kind of in front of you where you can shoot on each side of them and, and try to leave every limb there, but just move them out of your way and tie them out of your way where you'll have good cover and still be able to shoot your bow. Yeah, that, so, that was something that I had never done before was um, tying well, the saplings. You know, I, a lot of times I would, I would break them off and, you know, hang them on each other or hang them on my stand or my bow, uh, my bow holder, you know, break them off and, and hang them there. But keeping them alive and tying them together was, was, really, was really good. Okay, and after a while, the way we've got them pulled over and ratcheted over, after a while they'll naturally – I don't like to cut them unless I have to. Sometimes if that sapling is big as my leg or something, i got to move it quite a ways. Sometimes I'll hinge cut it a little and get it over. But sometimes, and most of the time, it'll stay alive, but you're taking a chance. So if you can do that without cutting that tree at all, it's much better. And that those trees that we pulled over will be covered from now on. And it won't take but usually two or three years that they're kind of, They'll grow that direction after being forced that away a while anyway. So those saplings are always going to be good cover for those particular trees. And those particular trees, unless the earthquake takes place, unless something unnatural changes the geographic feature of that piece of property, those trees that we picked up from the stands will always be great. Always. I mean, you could overhunt a little bit, and some of the, maybe the does that's got a buck pond with them might learn your location and stop using it some, but I know you won't. I know you're going to only hunt it during the rut, but it don't matter how many times. Now, getting back to what we was talking about, uh, it don't matter how many times you hunt some funnels, some of the bucks coming through there, it'll be their first time that year, maybe their first time ever. They're traveling cross country and they hit a trail system and they follow that trail system or they hit that bluff and they have to go where they got to go to go around it or they hit the ditch and they've got to go around it funnels them right to your stand. So that's going to be good from now on. And some people say you can overhunt a stand. I'm telling you, when I find a funnel that tight, now if I've got three funnels that's about equal on a property, it's different. I might jump around a little bit because if I think I've got caught a time or two, I blew some deer going in and out. But on a funnel that tight, like you said, I, I, I won't hunt it one or two mornings or one evening and maybe just see some does or young bucks or, or not see a big buck and think, well, I know where a better place is. That absolutely will not happen. I will get in a funnel that tight and whatever my vacation or my time to hunt is, I will go to the same stand every day. When I find a place like that, that's how I kill my big deer. I I get in there and I lay with it every day. That's just what I was about to ask you, Mr. Bobby. What was, what was your like minimum amount of days and your maximum amount of days you would sit the same set if it was the perfect time of year. And it sounds like you just sit it until you kill, right? 
I don't want to jump around. And if I know a big buck's in there and I've got his picture, I don't want to hopscotch around and, and miss that deer because I'm I moved from one stand to another. Now, if you're hunting a feeding type pattern, or if you're hunting a particular individual deer's travel corridor, you can overhunt that. You can become aware of you going in or coming out. But when you're hunting a funnel that moves that many travel corridors, that many deer together. I would say if we walked those trail systems out to the very end and counted them, we would end up with 10 or maybe 13 different trail systems coming into that bluff. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And there's no way that I would worry about overhunting that particular trail system, that that particular funnel where, where that many come together. It's moving a ton of deer through it. That's when I used to, before trail cameras, I killed a lot of big deer on public hunt, and that's exactly how I would do it. I would find the one very tightest funnel that was moving the most deer through it in the whole property, and I would not jump around. I'd go in there day after day after day, and a lot of hunters just, they can't handle that. But they got to understand the nature of our sport is, it don't gradually build up. You don't see a year and a half old today, then a two and a half year old buck tomorrow, then a uh, two days later, three and a half year old. <laughs> it, it 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 can be those fawns or no deer, no deer, no deer, and then the fourth day at twelve o'clock, the biggest deer in that whole country decides to travel, and he's got to go through that funnel, and you're sitting there waiting on him. And that's one other one other point I pointed out to you while we was getting everything ready in that tight funnel. You kind of set your stand up where you can shoot off your right side, you know. Yep. Let's see. Or is it your left? Are you left-handed? I'm right-handed. Yeah, you said it kind of where you sit off your right side, and I, I told you, I said, Joe, I want to do that. I would, I would point that tree stand straight across the funnel, and I said, it's easy when you're setting 12 hours. It's easy getting in the middle of the day and a little later. It's easy to just kind of get locked into one position with your head. And if you've got to kind of get up and scoot around your seat to look behind you, a lot of times you can get caught. And particularly in a tight funnel because there's there's not a lot of leaves on them in them tight funnels. That trail system wore down to the dirt. And them deer, you won't hear them coming a lot of times. Right. So I advise to point that tree stand where you could just turn your head to the right and to the left and see the deer coming both directions <clears throat> because that's one of the fourth reasons number one, one is that the shot's too long number two is the buck won't stop or they alert the buck while they're stopping him number three is they get caught in a tree stand to get seen because they ain't got enough cover and number four is the deer sneaks in on them before you know it he's 15 yards or 20 yards away and they've got to stand and get their bow and they get seen. So the next reason that i done the, everything i done when you was with me is so you can just turn your head both directions and not stand up. Just, just turn your head to the right or to the left and see that deer coming in plenty of time to get the shot off. Yeah. Now, a lot of people think, well, them still little things. Well, no, they're not. I know a lot of hunters that's missed a deer because the shot was like 25 yards and, 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 and they made a bad shot or they missed him. I know a lot of hunters that's missed a deer because they'd run it to stop him and he's took off running. 
I know a lot of hunters that's got seen in a tree, and I know a lot of hunters that the deer has snuck in on. Well, if those hunters could take those deer that they lost for each one of those individual reasons and put them deer on their wall, it would be all the difference in the world. They would be, they would be, they would be, uh, they'd be known as great trophy hunters because they would have been able to close the deal a lot more often. So them four things right there is critical. And it took us, I guess, Joe, it took us all day, didn't it? It did. It took us, you know, that entire afternoon and then till lunchtime the next day, you know, to, to, to get one area set up, um, you know, and, and we, 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 we talk about it all the time. You're going to the expense. You're traveling out of state for me because I've got to drive to Kentucky to hunt there. Um, you know, you've got lease payments. Uh, you got time away from from the family. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And and why wouldn't you get everything perfect? You know, that that's kind of how I always look at it. I mean, if you you know, I got some buddies that always say, you know, be a pro. Be a pro and, and do everything the way it's supposed to be done. Have the stand positioned exactly right. Have the mock scrapes. Have the mineral lick. Access. We hadn't talked about that, Bobby. You know, I'm going to get a little canoe and be able to come down that river and just pop up that bank right into the north stand, and, I mean, it's going to be bulletproof. And are you talking about being able to hunt a spot over and over and over again? The, the, the deer, if, if I got a north wind or a west wind, they literally would never know I was in there. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. On your south wind stand, you go right down that culvert, and there at that bridge, and that culvert, and that steep, that steep ditch, and they've got them big old rocks down it. You come right down, you come right down the edge of the rocks, and you get in the stand on that side, and you're you're there again. Right, and so, they never know I was there. You've got great access. I'll tell you, a lot of people, it's, it's, it's good to have great access. I really like it. But now, I don't get as hung up on it as a lot of people. Hunting these hot funnels, these what I call rut stands, during the rut, a lot of times they're not right beside the road, and a lot of times there's so many deer forced through them that there's so much trail system it's hard not to cross this trail system or two, and and there's so many deer funneling through there, it's not hard not to bump a few deer going into that stand. I would rather, I'd rather bump a deer or two and, and give up 10 minutes of the deer being spooked and get to hunt all day than stay out of there. A lot of times the nature of a funnel is that you've got to be in this fact. It ain't like hunting a feeding travel corridor, a feeding pattern where these big bucks are going from a bed and say switch crash or something into a food plot. It, your access is a lot more important there because you can you can manipulate and work around that. But when you've got to be in a particular spot, you can't move. Joe, you can't move 15 yards either direction. You've got to be able to shoot to what I call a sweet spot. That's where all the trails come within a certain distance of that tree. So access is important. When, when I look for a good... When I look for a good tight funnel back in the woods to hunt during the rut, the number one thing I look for is the amount of deer, the number of deer it's moving through there. The next thing I look for is buck sign. I don't have to have it, but it's, I really like to see if I follow it. A lot of times right in the funnel, it's not a good place to make rubs or scrapes, but if I follow those travel corridors out, I want to see what I call traditional buck sign. A lot of times, bucks over the years, they learn a particular funnel that will lead them 
to certain doe groups or that the way their RETs, their travels across the landscape, once they leave that funnel, it's a lot safer for them. And a lot of times over the years, bucks just, they know they've got to go through that funnel to go from point A to point B, whether it be two doe bedding areas or whatever. And I like to see that old sign and fresh sign if it's there. If it's not and it's moving enough deer through it, through it then that's not a deal killer for me. And, and the and third thing I look for. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, Bobby. Third thing. The third thing is I want an area where you can blow your scent that's the most voided deer sign. And usually in a funnel, it's not hard. Because, like, for instance, your scent's going to blow off over the bluff toward the river on the north wind stand. And on the south wind stand, it's going to blow right up that ditch where the deer are, are not coming close to because they know they can't converse it anyway. So I look for I look for the void that blow my scent into. And then the fourth thing is access. I want to work out the best access, but that will not ever be a deal, deal killer for me on a tight funnel that moves a lot of deer. Yeah, you got to get to it, and and what what I was going to say is is you know a mistake that that some guys would make is you know when we walked into that cedar thicket there was buck sign everywhere, and and you know naturally that's where a guy's going to want to set up. You know it was thick, there were rubs, there were a few trails, um, there were scrapes everywhere on that around that old dilapidated barn. Um, but, but that's not the spot to be. We left, we abandoned all that rut sign or, or buck sign and went back to the tightest funnel area. Now it's what, three, 400 yards from there, but it, it's still, that, that's, that's a mistake that, that, you know, a lot of guys would make. They would set up on that buck sign versus in that super tight funnel. That's exactly right. And they're only hunting that one particular buck and they're liable to, booger him or spook him because there's no world on the edge of that you could set up and him not get down wind of you coming into it when you find a, a really unique place like that with huge buck sign or you get a picture of a big mature buck you want to kill then i always start circling it and i try to find the tightest funnel i can find within a few hundred yards of that now and when you do that you're not only hunting that buck you're hunting a buck that a buck that maybe you don't even know about. You're hunting several mature bucks when they start that long-range traveling. I have killed, since since we've had trail cameras, I've killed a lot of big bucks that nobody in the whole area had any idea existed. It's one of them bucks, Joe, that you'll get his picture one time. You say, man, i got a monstrous picture, and I've never got his picture before or after. Guess what? I'm the one that kills that buck. Yep. Because I'm I'm sitting in that tight travel corridor they're forced to, to go through, and I'm sitting there daylight to dark if the weather is fit for all-day movement, and I'm sitting there day after day after day after day. And and you're you're going to, too, and I, I, feel, I feel, feel very... Unless, of course, you've got a, another... Now, if I've got a funnel that tight, and I've got a big sign on a single bucks travel corridor and and it's a one 180 inch deer then guess what i'm gonna go hunt that deer and you're already set up to hunt you know the you know the trees to put the stand in and you know the situation but i will blind hunt a place 
and you will do the boogeyman is going to be in that tree, and if you you put all three together, you wait till the rut movement takes place, and 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 you got a tight funnel now, and you've got it set up to make the kill. You go, you can close the deal, and now if you're persistent. It ain't no secret, and it ain't hard. So many people struggle with it, and they, they're looking for a secret bullet. But the things we have talked about, Joe, is the secret bullet. Yeah, and, and that's it. And, and guys, you know, every, everybody that's listening here that, that has trouble hunting the rut because they say, you know, I'm going to hit on this again. Deer running everywhere. You know, you, you just you don't know how to get in the right spot, whether to hunt a field edge or whatever it may be. This, what Bobby has just described here is exactly how to hunt the rut. It 100%, it stacks the deck in your favor. It, it puts everything together, and, and the tight funnel that they have to funnel through, they have to come through there, that's how you hunt the rut. That's exactly right. And the funnel that you're in will, I don't know how many acres that farm is. It's, it's 80, 80 acres, 86 acres. 80 acres. And I would say 90% of the mature bucks going through that property will come to that one spot, that one special spot. Now, you get to wondering, well, is a place like that, uh, not that particular place, but what what piece of property did I want to buy? Well, of course, there's a lot of things, and Don Higgins does a good job talking about that. You want to consider the properties around it and make sure it can grow mature buck and, and all that. But once you're in a place where the genetics is where there are giant bucks, the caliber bucks that you want to kill, and once you know that the hunting pressure is not such that you're not going to have one every 10 years, you're going to have one maybe every year or two, then the next important thing to me is, is there a way to hunt that property that will put the chances that a mature buck, if he does move through that property, at least 50% chance he's going to move by my stand. And that's where a geographical feature that forces deer value comes into play. Without a doubt. Go ahead, Kevin. Mr. Bobby, when you when you go to a property having no say you go by yourself when you don't have anybody who has any prior knowledge of the property, are you looking at a topo map and dropping pins on specific areas where you want to go where you would find a bluff or a, a drainage or something? Or are you just kind of going in there blind and walking it until you find something? Well, uh, a lot of times something will jump out at you. Uh, if there is a deep drainage, uh, you know, the topographical lines really close together or a bluff where they're really close together, the more dramatic the, the elevation change on the topographical map, the more chances are that that will be the first, the, the best chances are that will be the funnel. Whether it's a real deep drainage ditch with, with real steep sides, a lot of times those don't show up on the top of the graphical map. You may just have one or two lines close together and it's one dark line. But yeah, it, it don't hurt, but I'll be honest with you, I don't I don't look at topographical maps because I'm going to walk every inch of it anyway. And about 50% of the time, I find a type place you would have never realized it by looking at the topographical map. It may be the way two ditches comes around each other, or it may be a steeper bank for 100 yards on a ditch that you didn't recognize on the map, or it, it, might, be a, it might be a fence. 
I went to one property this year in Kansas, and the guy pulled up and he let us off the road, and we 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 got out of the automobile and we went on his property. It was a county road. The guy let us off, went and parked, and when we got off the road and and went into his uh, his property, I went into the woods. I noticed a creek on the right and a fence on the right on on. No creek on the left and a fence on the right, and and that fence made a corner out there, and it's cattle fence. It was a good fence, and I noticed that about five or six heavy trails come together. And had that bank his feet down, and he took me on in there and was showing me some rubs and stuff. And I said, "Yeah, there's a lot of rubs here. This is nice." And he said, uh, "We're looking around, looking around," and he said, uh, "We get one further and further away from that." And he said. Uh, what do you think about all the big bucks signed all the way down through here? And I said, well, that's good. That's that's real good. But I said, turn around. And he turned around. I said, what do you see? And I just and that. And I said, uh, you see a faster field? You see a you see a good fence that goes from where we got out of the automobile up that hill at least 200 yards? I said, uh, and then you see this creek here on the right side? I said, the further you get from the very gap that funnels the deer, the more they spread out and go right and go left and go different directions. And he said, Bobby, you mean hunt right there? I said, well, we stepped out of the automobile. That's, that's, he said, I've, I've got out on with there a dozen times and never even noticed the significance of it. He said, well, I noticed that it was wore down. But I said, well, I said, you may feel funny hunting on the road, but that's what you will need to do, and that's exactly the tightest funnel you'll ever find. And all of these deer making this big sign on different travel corridors and different trails down through here are all crossing the road. It's actually coming out where we did. And I said that is not a that is not a bridge to nowhere. That is not a travel corridor to a feeding area or a field. That's going from one big woods to another. That's that's that long-range travel corridor that material bucks use to hit it. So a lot of times we just overlook the most obvious. Yep. Yep. When you um, – what what about properties that ha- don't have too much topo? Like here in South Carolina, in the upper part of the state, we have a bunch of, you know, property with bluffs and really deep ridges and all that. And then the lower part of the state – um, in areas we hunt, it's it's real flat. Are, are you looking for edges or sometimes creeks or swamps or what are you what are you looking for? Yeah, first any time you got a body of water, of course. Anytime you got a body of water, uh, you look at it. All all bodies of water are funnels. The deer and use use this philosophy: the deer'd rather wade than swim, and he'd rather walk on dry land than walk in the water. Anytime you've got a body of water, and, and then if you don't even have that, then you're going to have to go to the edge. And when you find the edge, then you want to enhance that edge every way you can. You want to put a mineral lick. You, first, you want to find a tree that you good cover or that you can make good cover and you can hunt out of. Once you decide that particular tree on that edge, then you want to put the mineral lick or something that will cause a network of trails to form right in front of your tree, because when a material buck's traveling cross country and he don't know the territory good, when he hits the trail, he's going to follow it. He's going to know that's the safest and easiest way through there. 
And he's also going to know that he's more likely to cut a doe and heat trail on that, on that travel corridor. So you want to do something, whether you're allowed to feed in the off-season or whatever, you want to do something, the mineral lick or feed or something to cause a network of trails to come right in front of your tree on that edge. Now, you also want to make a scrape line. I make a mock scrape. A lot of times they want to scrape. They love to scrape down the edges. That particular scrape I told you about that every mature buck visits on this farm is on an edge. So, but a lot of times there's not limbs that's just right. So about every 30 or 40 yards down that edge, make, get those limbs just right for a mock scrape. Do everything you can to enhance that. And then right, and, and if you can, don't just pick one tree. Pick trees cross from each other, one on this side of the edge and one on this side of the edge, and put a stand in both of them. So find that particular spot before you put your mineral lick, lick and whatever you're going to do, and then make mock scrapes up and down on both sides, and then it won't hurt to hinge cut a few trees from the two trees you pick out, maybe 30 yards, maybe 40 yards, uh, maybe take a chainsaw if you're allowed to, and to force those deer right in between those two trees. So you're, you've, got, uh, you've got a way to form your trail systems like a mineral lick, You've got the mock straights down through there. You enhance that every way you can to draw the deer there. You might even, if, if you're going to have it long term, you might even plant some fruit trees, persimmon trees, anything to get those deer accustomed to moving between those two trees during, even during the off season. And then they'll use, and they're, they're coming through that area, they'll use that trail system because they're used to it and they feel safe there. And then, the, of course, the next part of it is don't overhunt it. Don't don't fix a great place and then get in there and hunt maybe before the rut movement starts and 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 overhunt it you know and get the family group of those aware of your presence <clears throat> some funnels it don't hurt to over over hunt but on a particular funnel like that where deer can there's no obstacle that makes the funnel they can go around you if you overhunt it they're more you're more apt to hurt yourself in a particular place like that than you would be a funnel where they're forced to go through yeah that's that's the problem with a lot of the the public that i hunt it's it's all real flat but i found some really good spots and i've i've showed joe some pictures and things like that of they're traveling through there all the time and there's some really good edge it's just it's getting them to um you know come by that tree and and i think what you just said with the mineral lick and the um i'm not sure if you can i think you can use the powder mineral but the the mineral and the the scrapes i think that will like you said that'll help get them in there and funnel down by the tree that i need to be in and another thing is you know i doubt you can cut uh trees on on public but you can pile brush up did yep. bobby mention that he didn't, but I was thinking that, and I was also thinking about how y'all were tying off the uh, the limbs and things like that. So there's plenty of ways to skin the cat. I just got to get out there and, and get them prepped. Yeah, yeah. You, you can find, a lot of times you can find a big dead limb that blew out of a tree. And, uh, I mean, if it happens to be a place you get your side aside too, I've, I've, I've chained to them and pulled them a good ways and put them where I need them and, and blocked off areas. Yeah, if you if you're in a place you can't cut, then you can you can like Joe said, you can use brush. You can uh, you can get innovative. I tell you, you, you got to be creative hunting these big old deer, and and you got to think outside the box a lot of times. I've done some awful 
off of strange stuff, you know, to kill big deer. <laughs> I've, I've used possums and everything else, you know, and killing big deer. But then those other stories. But <clears throat> really, that's all you can do. You can you can create your own own mini funnel, and particularly if it's on pub, private ground where you get permission to cut a few things. I I I, I don't particularly. A lot of people do, and it's it's great, and if it works good. But a lot of people actually put fences up to push the deer to certain places. I don't I don't care if it's that extreme, but I'll use brush or hens cut to move them just a little bit, you know, and uh, then then make it as attractive as possible, but make sure before you make it attractive that there's there's trees there within range and and hopefully one on both sides of where you're gonna where you're gonna attract your deer and and hopefully they're if if they've not got enough cover on them, one of them may have one of them may not and hopefully there'll be a sapling or some other way that you can you can add cover to uh I've used discarded Christmas trees if I didn't have a a, a tree I could cut into it or pull into it i uh, I don't like attaching limbs and stuff to my tree stand at all because if it's real still and I'm moving my feet around getting ready for a shot and I shake that stand just a little, I've had I've had brush with leaves on it to to rock when I when I put weight on the tree stand a certain way. So, but you can certainly do it up about head high on your tree and let it hang about down about the width of your body. Uh, like a discarded Christmas tree or something. Uh, when I find one at the dump, I usually get it for that purpose. They'll last forever, and uh, you know it's it's a big it's a big blob of fire, and the deer will get used to it after a while. So there's just a lot of ways you can do that, but make sure before you start attracting your deer down a certain edge, make sure you find suitable trees. Not necessarily do it just just because. Uh, well, there's there's two trails coming together here. That's I'd love to start like that. I'd love to start at a place where maybe two or three trails come together naturally. I like to, that's where I want to be if I can. But there's no use being there if there's not a suitable tree to hunt out of. So you may have to you may have to find another spot and then then cause then then cause the trail system to form. Yeah, I got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bobby, we, we've been at it for about an hour here and, and I can't thank you enough. You know, the, the getting to know you the last few months has, has been, you know, a real highlight for me and, and, and just to spend time with you has been incredible. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier that you're working with Don Higgins and the dream team and, and you do actual consulting jobs where you'll go down to people's farms and show them about habitat and show them funnels and show them what tree to get in what's what's the best way if if a guy was interested in getting some help from you what's the best way for them to get in touch with you 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 want them to reach out to don or is it better to 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 come straight to you or what's the best way most clients just call us individually thank you my number is four two three Six three seven nine seven five seven, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. And I've done it all this year. I've I went to farms and done habitat suggestions, and I've also been been hired by several clients just to go to public land with them and walk the public land because they wanted to learn, wanted to learn, wanted to see how I found my tree stands in big woods and. And also wanted me to pick out some good stands where that would increase their odds. But not just that. Most of them want to learn also. You know, of course, it's that old thing like you 
you buy a man a fish, you give him a fish he needs for a day, but you teach him fish he needs for a long time. So while I'm going around in the woods with people, believe me, I'm not quiet. I, I say, this is this, and this is why we're doing this, and this is what I see here. And, and I have never told a man that I'd put a stand in this tree or that tree and that I would not hunt myself. I just will not do it. I won't. I, w- I won't do it under no circumstance. I would never put a man in a tree that I would not hunt myself. And and I have been very successful in the trees I pick for myself. So that's I'm hoping that I'm hoping that comes through for the clients too. Absolutely. And guys, if you if you do go and get get Bobby to to help you, and if you didn't hear the number or something on the podcast, you can reach out to us, and I can certainly get you the number to get in touch with Bobby. But make sure that Bobby brings radar with him when he comes that that is uh, bobby has a malinois and how old is he he's about a year and a half bobby or 18 uh, 16 he was a December. so he's just a little over a year old mm-hmm. yeah. and, and it, it is the best trained dog i have ever been around in, in in my life i mean the way we took him to restaurants and he just sit outside you know in the shade laying by the door waiting for you to come up i mean he, he's that, that's a special dog Thank you. He, yeah, he, he can do a lot of things. He, he'll find any object I ask him to find. If I've got two of the objects and I, I still let him check on one, and he's going to find the other one, whether it's peppermint candy or drugs. One time I was, when I was logging, I was working on a skitter in the side of the mountain, and I dropped a, a big boat I, I was working on. It rolled down there in the leaves, and he was about two months old, and I'd already started him on, on finding items, and, and I couldn't find it. It was in the leaves, and it got lost, and it rode further than I thought. But I took another boat and put a little grease on it, and I checked him checked him on it, and, boy, he headed down through there, and it wasn't a minute he had it. So. <laughs> and then he'll track it. You know, Joey found two. I can put him on the individual scent. That's that's the main thing I'm training him for, search and rescue. But yeah. we worked with him some on that yesterday, matter of fact, and and he'll he'll find a – if I put him on an individual, he's going to find that. And of course, you, you see him climb trees and – He's just a a special dog. He really is. He's an athlete, and he's so well-behaved and friendly. Um, You know, I I just – I really enjoyed, you know, the whole experience that we had. So, can't thank you enough, Bobby. We really appreciate it. And uh, I know you you told me you weren't going to do many more of these, but uh, hopefully – we, we can get one more out of you before it's all said and done. We, we can take another topic. Maybe we'll, we'll dive into archery and the importance of archery and mechanics and that sort of stuff uh, down the road. Well, we'll talk about that, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on this time, and I hope that I hope that this is beneficial to people. I, I don't want the 50, 50 years of experience I've got to go for naught. I want to be able to pass it on. I want, I want good people to be successful what they do and and the right kind of people learn from others and the, the wrong kind don't learn anyway because they're too invested in protecting their own ego to learn from others but the right type of people will listen to this and and they'll be happy for it happy for the information and they will they'll apply yes so sir I'm, we I'm glad we always talk about that checking your ego because this is something we're all trying to get better at and the only way is to to get different guys approaches and and their systems that that have been proven yeah, well, I really appreciate this flat platform and really just discussing hunting with you like we did in the woods. It's it's uh, that, that's that's how kind of how we approach this, and I think it it went really good. And I really enjoy I really enjoy it because I enjoy talking to quality people like 
like you and your partner there. So uh, it's it's been a good experience for me. I've, I've enjoyed this hour tremendously. Well, thank you again, Bobby, and uh, of course I'll be in touch real soon. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Mister Bobby. So thank you. So. All right. Yes.